This is the Runner's World Podcast. Welcome to the Runner's World Podcast with me, Rick Pearson. And me, Jane McGuire. Today, we're talking with Sabrina Pace-Humphreys and Sunny Peart about the lack of diversity in trail running. How are you doing, Jane? You all right? Yep, I'm good. I um, haven't been on the trails this weekend, but I had a really exciting... Um, I ran from Clapham back to South Woodford or Woodford, which is about, for any listeners who aren't in London or aren't up to speed on the geography, it's about, <laughs> oh, probably about 15 miles. I kind of yeah, ran effort, walks, yeah. bits of it. Um, but yeah, it was really cool. Went through Victoria Park, around the Olympic Park, which I think is a really underrated place to run because um, it's really, it's kind of like really quiet, but kind of cool. Um but yeah, I, I really, I had a great time. I wish I hadn't been carrying such a heavy backpack, but, but apart from that, it was great. It kind of made me um, explore some new places and I kind of like having a, a destination, like A to B kind of run. That, that's some run that. You basically run right across London, haven't you? That's kind of from Pretty southwest to, to north, well, into Essex, actually. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was good. It was a good one. I, w- I would recommend... I would recommend doing it. I wouldn't recommend carrying a makeup bag and loads, you know, a change of clothes and stuff because it will, it, you know, your makeup will smash and it will ruin all your clothes. But it's fine, you know. You live to tell the tale. Well, I, I can't beat that. I've um, I went a new route. I'm trying to do different routes every weekend for the long run and uh yeah i went down to mitcham common the wilds of mitcham common it's a really underrated space i think um quite wild in places very underused a uh, mixture of sort of blackberry bushes burnt out cars and beautiful <laughs> trails so <laughs> the full kind of um spectrum <laughs> yeah but i i really like this this kind of i'm going to call it trail running but i think it's this these kind of in between places that offer like a bit of the urban and a bit of the a bit of the rural um because uh, yeah, I think um, and I think most cities uh, actually provide those kind of opportunities to explore those areas. So yeah, it was it was a good a good weekend for both of us, Jane. I reckon on the running front. Yeah, and another another trail running achievement, which is far greater than ours. <laughs> um, friend of Runners World, Damien Hall, um, has set an FKT yeah. on Britain's oldest national trail, the Pennine Way. I think we spoke about it last week, but he's yeah. now completed his epic run, um, two hundred sixty-eight miles in sixty-one hours. 34 minutes which beat the previous record set by his friend john kelly by more than three hours so well done damien i think john kelly only had the record for a week actually so your heart goes out to john a little bit because it was a you know it's a huge effort from both of them but now damien's the new yeah i've I've heard that they're friends but i wonder if it's you know (laughs) anymore i don't yeah i wonder if they are still our friend let let us know guys or you know whether it's one of those like oh yeah i'm really glad he got it but secretly you're like yeah damn you damien race Uh, that's what i'm calling for i'm calling for a race (laughs) (laughs) yeah hats off to david there um our chat this week is going to look at trail running but through the lens of the black lives matter movement yeah i think currently trail running like many other off-road pursuits is overwhelmingly white and middle class and we wanted Mm. to look at the reasons like why this might be and what can be done to make trail running more diverse yeah it's a really complex issue um and we've got two brilliant guests who are going to come on and uh, discuss it from their perspective so i think it's time that we brought on our guest of the week guest of the week here in the studio guest of the week sometimes on the phone could be an athlete could 
Our guests this week are Sabrina Pace Humphreys and Sunny Peart. They're here to talk about the lack of diversity in trail running and crucially, what needs to be done to encourage more people of colour to experience off-road running. This week, they helped to launch Black Trail Runners, a running community promoting the benefits of off-road running to people of colour and we're delighted to have them on the podcast now. So Sabrina, can we start with you then? How did you first get into to trail running? So I was a road runner. I started out as a road runner. Um, I'm a mum of four, grandmother of two and I initially took up running as a way to lose weight after having my fourth baby um and I was all about the roads I was like I I, although I live in a small market town in the Cotswolds um so we have fantastic trails around us but I would not venture off the roads at all um and it was only when I decided that I wanted to do something different for my 40th birthday that I uh decided in order to take on that challenge which was the marathon day sub um that I needed to get off the roads because running on the road is going to be nothing like running in the Sahara desert so that was and that was about well, god what was about five years ago about five years ago um where I live, there's this amazing, uh, there's loads of amazing trails, but the main one that people will know if they visited the Cotswolds is the Cotswold Way, which is like 104 miles from Chipping Camden to Bath. Um, very technical, up and down, but very, very beautiful. Um, so that that is my like go-to trail. Um, and I just, I, I love it. I just love it. So yeah, it was about five years ago I went to the trail. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful around there. I did a, a weekend uh, before Christmas and went to the, I guess one of the famous parts is the the hill that they do the cheese rolling down. Yeah, Cooper's Hill. I was, when I was doing one of my Instagram stories the other day, I was, because I, when I'm doing my um, Instagram, I, I like to take people on trails with me as much as I can. Um, and I showed them, I showed them what Cooper's Hill was like. And I was like, oh my God, people actually throw themselves <laughs> down here and call it running after a cheese. But yeah, I've never, I've never had a go at it, but maybe one day it'll be on the bucket list when I, I, I give up running and don't want to worry about getting injured. And, and Sonny, how, how about yourself? What, what was your journey into trail running? Yeah, similar in some ways. So I think my first sort of big trail race was uh, in 2015. Um, I'd been running for a few years. Uh, I sort of progressed up to marathon, done Edinburgh, done Manchester. Uh, and a friend who was a uh, sort of fellow running club member who was into uh ultras uh she uh told me about a uh trail run which was the wheeled uh challenge marathon down in uh, sussex um and so we entered that together uh it was the first long run i'd done on anything other than a road really um and it was just a revelation it was you know it was just so nice to be out in the countryside uh and seeing uh you know what it is, you know, you can journey through the country uh, on foot and see a lot of things um, and without any of the real stresses of um, sort of running in the city, um, uh, you know, dealing with traffic and dealing with pedestrians and you know, stuff like that. It was, you know, and see things that, you know, I actually did spend some of my childhood in the country, um, sort of in Yorkshire. So it almost was like a bit of a sort of return in some ways, kind of recognizing things which I just hadn't interacted with for years and years and years uh you know birds and trees and things like that which you know just they just pass us by in our urban environment and um and it's part of what makes uh you know being in the uk so great um you know we get a sense that it's a very crowded 
uh, urban country if you live in London, but actually it's not at all. <laughs> There's just lots and lots of space to go and play around it, uh, you know, if you if you can. So yeah, that 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 was uh, how I did that. And I, you know, once I'd done that, it was like I don't I don't really want to run sort of road marathons or anything like that afterwards i just want to run more more of this so that's was kind of a natural progression into ultra running after that um so yeah but <laughs> i think that sums up how i got into it yeah 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 i wish i was a trail runner but i'm still just stuck on the roads what do you think obviously you've made it sound so beautiful and perfect but what do you think what do you what what's the benefit of running on the trail compared to the road as a as trail runners? Like how can you convince me and the rest of the Londoners stuck on the roads to get out there? I would say, if I'll go first, if you don't mind, Sunny, um I think that they once you once you go trail, I think that it's hard to go back to running on road. I think that there is something very special about seeing about the feel of mud of dirt of rock of wood of grass under your feet not only from a a, a physiological perspective you know it's it's they you know physios will often say in order to save our knees as runners you know we need to do more off-road running um i think there's something really really special about having access to a trail especially at those beautiful times of the morning when the birds are singing mm. whether it's really early or or at sunset and just the the quietness of of a trail and the beauty of lifting your head up and running tall and looking around you and thinking wow I mean, how often have you been on a road and thought, wow, look, <laughs> just look, look where I am or stood at the top of a, a hill and looked out over a view with no cars beeping or exhaust fumes or getting in anyone's way and just to think, wow, that is, I think once you experience that, there I, I think it's very hard to go back and feel as content road running yeah i can't i can't add to that too much i think um you know the thing is you know people go out walking in the countryside right and you know they go and see things they want to see beauty spots they want to have great views and as a runner you can experience so much more of that in a short space of time uh, you know, in one afternoon, you can cover miles and miles and miles uh, and, you know, just see landscapes which aren't accessible to you. We spend so much time, uh, you know, in our cars and uh, in buildings that, you know, we just don't see this stuff. And it is beautiful, as Sabrina says. It, sometimes it just makes you say, wow. I think there's also the, you know, for those of us who are, you know, a little bit more uh, introverted and you know, possibly even you know kind of uh, misanthropic we it's great to be out you know where there aren't that many people uh and you know just be with your own thoughts um and i think it also um you know lets you experience um sort of his the history of the country as well um i mean i think we think of the countryside as being 
know, just kind of ahistorical and kind of, you know, just a natural formation. But of course, it's not. It's been shaped by centuries of human interaction, which, you know, may not be there anymore. But it's really, I find it really interesting to kind of interpret the landscape that you're running through. And of course, you can do that in the city, but it's a very different kind of interpretation. You're reading different signs. It's not quite so obvious. And so, uh, you know, I think it can, it stimulates your it stimulates your brain in a way that running in the city really can't do at all. Um, yeah, so it's it it offers you know it offers something different. I can see why people don't want to do it necessarily, uh, but you know, as Sabrina says, I think once you've done it, um, it's very hard not to want to do it again. <laughs> so you, you both made a really good case for, for getting out into into green spaces there. But um, maybe we start with you, Sabrina. Do you think that people of colour, as a general rule, feel comfortable and welcome in what we could call like rural environments or rural Britain? I think it's a t- it's kind of a two part question there. If 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 we're really looking at it, so. I think once let's go to about feeling welcomed. I think that once as a person, I'm mixed race, racialized as black. I I grew up in a very small market town. You know, I didn't know any other black people and brown people when I was growing up. The, 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 the trail was on my doorstep, common land on my doorstep. So when I am out trail running, so we were talking earlier, I was in the mountains at the weekend, 97% of people are welcoming in terms of good afternoon, good morning, keep going, you're looking strong. Oh my God, I can't believe you're running up this hill. We can barely walk up it. So the experience as a person of colour, once once you are out on the trails, most people, and I say most because obviously there's always a caveat, there are, there are always, you know, people around who aren't as welcoming, yeah. but, um, but, more often than not, I am met human to human, you know, as you would say, well done to anyone you would, I, you know, I get that. I think when it comes to people of colour feeling comfortable, I think that that's, that's a really interesting question. Because I think it's difficult to feel comfortable as a, as a black or brown person in a space which historically and which in the present day doesn't feel like a safe space for you to be. So therefore, when we think about, you know, 97% of the population of the uh, BAME community live in cities, you know, and that comes from, you know, back back towards, you know, you know, people, the Windrush, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, as a, as a, as a, UK citizen, when you think of the country, the the image that is conjured in your head is of more often than not white people, um, is of country houses, is of Cotswold towns like mine, is of rolling hills. And from a psychological perspective, there's an image of whiteness that is associated with that. Whereas when someone says to you, Rick or Jane, when someone says to you, urban, the image within your head is more often than not that of a black person. Now, you know, we have to, what we have to understand is that being a person of colour or being a black or brown person, it's about taking it back and thinking that about the 
access to the trails because ultimately and I think Sonny mentioned it on a podcast that he was on before so he might want to come in here you you travel half a mile uh, sorry half an hour out of London you go from a nice uh, you know a, a mixture a diverse mix of people to predominantly white so therefore and that's you know and that you, you have to understand that from a perspective of a person of color therein lies an issue in terms of this space from a historical perspective isn't necessarily for us or we haven't been shown that it's for us so therefore that will stop it doesn't stop me no but that's because I grew up in a town which was predominantly white which had the trails on the doorstep so if I wanted to go out and play I could go 10 minutes up the hill and I would be on a common so therefore the space for me that's just what I did whereas that's very different my access to that space is very different to the access to space for a large part of the Bane community so we have to think about as human beings as black and brown people who either are already trail runners or are people of color who maybe road run and want to get into trail running it's so much more than just going out of your door and having access to that space it's there there are so many issues around what access actually means and I, I think Sunny probably it's probably quite a good time for you to come in yeah I mean you know it is a complex issue and that's part of what makes this difficult but you know I, I'll try and sort of break it down into some into some simple issues here so uh, firstly uh, it is about comfort it's not just about welcoming as sabrina said yeah you're you know once you're there things are generally fine but will you go there and the sorts of things that will influence that are well you know if i you know can i get there and as you know as we said most uh, people of color live in an urban environment in the uk uh, and it's not straightforward to get there you've got to travel to get there um and when you uh, when you actually are there, um, you know, do you feel comfortable? Well, no, not necessarily, uh, because uh, you know you're kind of a, you know, you're almost an oddity. Well, not almost, you are an oddity uh, in that way. Um, and uh, part of the experience of being black in the UK, you know, today is that uh, you will seek out safe spaces because there are lots of spaces which don't feel safe. Uh, you're likely, you're much more likely to be challenged about your, uh, you know, about being in a particular place. Uh, and so why would you put yourselves in those situations? Uh, and so people may well be reluctant to go out into those spaces uh, because they, you know, they don't want the experience of being challenged. They don't want to feel as though they are out of place. Um, you know, there are some kind of cliches which sort of sum this up. And I, I'll just mention one, you know, I'm sure many of you, uh, many people listening to this will have you know, watched Midsummer Murders. And it's, you know, it's almost a joke that there are never any black people in it uh, because, you know, that's not what the English countryside is like. Um, and it, it is a historical thing, but it's not just a historical thing either. Um, if we think in this current situation in the pandemic, um, you know, I noted to myself that uh, last weekend I went uh, running in the trails in uh, Wendover uh, and uh, but that was the first time I had travelled 
to go running since lockdown in March. So every run up until that point for four months had been straight out of my front door. Uh, and of course, for 97% of black people, straight out of your front door is just into the city. So these people have not been on the trails. Uh, you know, this is being exacerbated even now. Uh, so, uh, you know, it is, it's not a kind of, uh, an overt thing necessarily on a day to day basis. Uh, that if I go there, someone's going to abuse me, but it is a very strong psychological, uh, barrier, uh, you know, as well as a kind of geographical barrier. Uh, you know, if you live in central London, how, you know, how do you get there? You've got to travel to get there. So, you know, I've, I think it's, uh, yes, once you're there, you can feel welcome, but are people comfortable enough to go there? That's a different question. Yeah. I feel like it's, um, it's not this, it's not just trail running that's overwhelmingly white. The same could definitely be said for off-road pursuits, such as walking, um, rambling. Do you think there is a sense that the British countryside is only truly open to white people? And how do we even be, like, how does that begin to change? So I think. You know, I'm not sure I'd use the word truly, but I, I absolutely agree with the sentiment here, uh, which is that, yeah, um, if you're white and British, then there's no reason why you can't be in the countryside, uh, whether it's walking, whether it's you know, visiting a sort of national trust uh, site or you know just looking for a view or whatever it is. Um, but as a, as a black person, you know, as, as we've kind of hinted at, you know there are you know there's there are barriers that make you reluctant to do that uh, and i think it's to do with um in many ways that um in our country um being white is considered to be normal <laughs> um and um you know anything other than that is exactly that it's other it's unusual uh, it has to be kind of explained or uh, uh, sort of justified. Uh, and it's it's quite hard work to spend your whole life kind of justifying and explaining why you're in a particular place, why you're doing a particular thing. Uh, and I think what brings this home is that this isn't just something which exists in the minds of white people. So it's not just white people saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm surprised there's a black person here, uh, you know, looking at this castle or, you know, there's a black person, uh, you know, doing some, uh, uh, you know, picking blackberries in this, uh, national trail. Um, you know, that goes in, that goes on in the head of black people as well, because we're so programmed, uh, throughout our lives by the interactions that we have, the media that we consume, um, that, you know, there's a normal way, you know, there's a normal group of people and then there are other people who aren't the same, um, that, you know, we still have those thoughts and we have to kind of consciously combat them. And to go to your sort of the second part of your question, you know, what can we do about it? Well, we have to consciously recognize these unconscious thoughts that we have uh, and recognize the sort of uh, psychological and uh, social and kind of structures in which we are living. Um, you know, it's very easy to ignore them. And, you know, by definition, we spend most of our time ignoring them. We just do what we do. 
Um, but as soon as we start questioning, why do I do this? And why doesn't someone do this? Why am I thinking about this person in this particular way? Uh, then we can start to make progress. Um, you know, so that, that to me is the major step that we have to recognize. Uh, that we, that everybody, you know, most people in this country are, uh, you know, consider this is a normal way that things are. Um, and, uh, people of color in many situations is considered to be abnormal. I mean, the parallel is kind of in the, you know, uh, you know issues of sexuality. Um, you know, we talk about heteronormativity. Uh, you know, it's just kind of, we expect, you know, our natural inclination, if you talk about what, well, a relationship between two people and, you know, people being married, people's first thought, uh, for, you know, is often, well, I'm thinking of a man and a woman. Now that's changed quite a lot recently, uh, amongst a portion of the population, although, you know, you'll find that amongst a large proportion of the population that hasn't changed. Um, and, you know, even amongst those of us who consider ourselves to be, you know, enlightened and liberal, etc., you know, it's quite hard to unprogram that. Um, so, you know, the se- we're way beyond, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're not as far along uh, when we consider that kind of normativity in terms of race. Uh, so, um, so, yeah, that's, that's a long answer to a, a short question, but I... <laughs> No, I'm, I'm just trying to get across the, the sort of different layers that are going on here, that it isn't about sort of surface level uh, abuse and discrimination. You know, that almost, you know, if we talk about it on that level, uh, you know, we're kind of giving people a pass here uh, because it's perfectly possible to get rid of that. Uh, and indeed, you know, I would say, you know, over the last 10, 20, 30 years, there's been, you know, improvements in that. Certainly it's become less acceptable to do that, but it hasn't removed the underlying structures that, you know, still mean that people of color don't have power. And, you know, racism isn't just about, uh, you know, disliking somebody or discriminating. It only matters if there's a power distinction. Uh, and the power is based on this idea that, you know, to be normal is to be white. Um, you know, and that hasn't gone away. Uh, so, you know, that's what we need to challenge here. I mean, you see it, you know, one thing, uh, an example of this point about, about you know, white being seen as the normal and then anything else being seen as other. You know, I talk about this a lot, feeling growing up in a small Cotswold town and being seen as other and not feeling that I fitted in. But, you know, I, I went, I started mountain running about two years ago and you know i've been hiking mountains running mountains etc etc now if if you have been lucky enough to climb a mountain or maybe unlucky enough to climb a mountain you'll 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 know that you know in order to climb we're told we need the right shoes we need poles we need the right clothing in case it's too warm too cold we need water so we believe that we know the the best way the best kit to have to climb a mountain and anything that deviates from that we we question so therefore you know when we see other people you know south asians for example who who will be climbing mountains and they will stop and have picnics and and uh, or you know i was on a mountain the other week uh, just before locked lockdown and you know there were a group that had rolled out carpets and was smoking hoka pipes halfway up the mountain now there was so much 
double taking going on so much oh my god that's not normal so much tutting of walkers going by as in this is our space this is how we conduct ourselves as white people that is not normal you know and it's you've you've got to under you know you've got to understand with pursuits such as walking such as skiing such as mountain biking um from a representation point of view, which is a massive issue, you know, I talk about you cannot be what you cannot see. So therefore, the media have a massive part to play in this. You know, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a piece about black people in the countryside on Country File. And again, you know, there was a massive kind of conversation around that. But, you know, when you're a person of colour living in these times and if you are someone that partakes in outdoor sports then you see it all of the time it becomes part of your experience um and i think that you know it's important for us to catch ourselves black white you know when we are making those assumptions about other people who are doing things in our outside space which don't necessarily conform to how we believe it should be done because that creates a barrier to people getting outside that creates them and us and that's what black trail runners our community are trying to open up the trails to say look we understand that there are issues around access, around skills, and massive issues around representation. You know, Runners World. You know, the the reason that I kind of initially was in contact was due to the representation of of black people on your covers, um, or the content in terms of black runners, both kind of elite and amateur within the pages online. But, you know, if we look around as runners at brands, big brands, multi-million pound brands and media, I look on the newsstand at Tesco's and I don't see anyone that looks like me. And I'm mixed race. You know, I'm lighter skinned. So, you know, when we're looking for icons or we're looking for heroes or we're looking just for someone that we can see that looks like us and we don't hear them we can't read about them and we're certainly not seeing them it makes us think we don't belong we don't belong here this is not a space for us so media have a massive part to play and that's certainly as a community and as a campaigning group black trail runners that we're seeking to ask those questions and seeking to engage in conversation that of course is going to be uncomfortable but these are conversations that have to be had because change will not come easily we all have to be asking ourselves really uncomfortable questions about what it is about the outside space and trails which is where we're coming from that means that there is such a lack of representation of people of color yeah i think that's a absolutely fair point Sabrina. and um yeah as a brand i think we have to accept that we um can do more um we are committed to, to doing more and i guess it's not just it's as you, you guys are saying it's not necessarily just about who's on the front cover although i think there's there's definitely some work to be done there it's also mm. we're looking at who's actually who's actually writing the magazine so like actually mm. we, we need to get more people of colour uh, positioned as experts, contributors to the magazine as well. And um, 
yeah, all I can say is that that's something that we are committed to doing. Yeah. But we we absolutely yeah. accept that we haven't done enough of that um, to date. So like, like lots of media brands, we've got some work to do there as well. But it's, I think that's, and I think that's, I think that's great. And I, I'm really, I'm really, um, I'm, I'm really glad that we're having this conversation because it needs to be had. And I think Runner's World, you know, have taken, you know, certainly from a media perspective and, and reaching out, certainly Runner's World have taken, you know, taken what I see as a, a kind of really crucial point in terms of opening up um, the lines of dialogue for this conversation, because, you know, we get, you know, we get as as people of colour, you know, it's it's uncomfortable. We're having these conversations with our families, with our friends, with brands, with organisations, with other people of colours, with white allies. But they are important because, you know, as Sunny and I have said before, trail running is a form of, of for me, mental therapy. I would not be where I am today without it. And I want that for other black and brown people. Mm. I want that access and I want that space to be opened up and those skills to have been given and that representation to occur. Um, sorry, can I just come in on, uh, of course, yeah. I just wanted to make uh, a point uh, that Sabrina touched on. Uh, so I thought the example of, uh, you know, people on the mountain, seeing other people on the mountain, experiencing it in different ways uh, was really interesting. Um, and I thought it sort of pointed towards this, um, you know, it's beyond thinking about uh, sort of, well, there's one way to experience this. There's one type of person who can experience this and everything else is other. It's not just that it's other, it's that it's actually lesser. Um, because it's not just about difference. It's actually about power differences. It's about hierarchy. Um, and what kind of informs this is when we start to understand that the whole concept of race um, is actually a social historical construct. It's not a biological construct. Uh, you know, there is, there is no biological meaning when we use the word race, you know, it means nothing biologically. Um, you know, that surface difference of color, you know, is not reflected, you know, in, you know, beyond that surface. Um, and what's, what, one of the things that we have to overcome back to that question of what do we do about this is that there really needs to be, um, uh, education, uh, so that people understand that race isn't a biological difference it's something that has been invented by people and has been invented to actually justify power differences um you know during the colonial period you know until the 17th 18th century no one talked about race it wasn't a thing um it was produced and uh, you know, through some pseudo-scientific methods uh, to actually justify power differences in the sort of geopolitical world that was in existence then. Uh, and it's persisted. Um, and you know, since then, it's had some changes, but effectively, um, you know, when people talk, when many people talk about race today, that's that kind of, you know, they're reflecting a 19th century justification of colonization. That's what they're doing. Um, and only through education uh, can we move beyond that. And then so when we're starting to look at how people experience uh, our trails, our countryside differently, 
uh, that you know it's not this is better than yours. Uh, actually, we're just doing no. it differently, uh, and it's not something yeah. to be kind of shocked by. It's not something to uh, uh, to denigrate or to uh, you know, challenge. Uh, it's just other people experiencing the space in a different way. Um, so yeah, I you know I, I seriously think that's a quite a fundamental issue because I I you know I see many people I talk to people um, who you know actually have that assumption that there actually is a biological difference between us um, and it's just not true. If you talk to a geneticist, if you talk to a biologist, you know they'll tell you it's not true. There isn't any difference. <laughs> this is the Runner's World podcast. I wanted to talk about one one more barrier, if that's all right, and it's it's a it's a sort of the financial one because um often it gets we could say oh running's it's running's free it's like a really cheap sport all, all you need is a pair of legs and you're off you go but um I know that you've both done like trail running ultra running uh, I've done a bit of that stuff and I know that I found myself like investing in a pair of like poles and then like oh I need a pair I need a decent <laughs> pair of shoes and then suddenly both those things are like yeah. north of a hundred quid so suddenly yeah. this very free accessible sport suddenly becomes uh quite an expensive sport it also there's a sense that it takes up a lot of time um do you think that those two things actually mean that it becomes these things actually almost become a sport for people with um, spare cash and and spare time? I I definitely uh, agree with that. Um, as you say, it's you know it's a bit of a sort of stereotype that you know running running is a pure sport, but if you actually want to compete in it, you do have to uh, spend money. Um, you know, certainly the longer you go, uh, and as you go out to the trails, you need equipment. You, you know, irresponsible mm. to go out in, without equipment. Um, and once you start competing, you want good equipment. Uh, and in fact, the culture of it, um, encourages that as well. You know, there yeah. is competition, you know, there's the, you know, there's the person on the starting line next to you wearing the better trainers, having the better pack. Um, you know, that, you know, all of us, you know, we have those kind of, you know, insecurities uh, that makes us want to fit in in that way. Um, you know, it's, I don't think it's quite as bad as cycling where you're going to have to spend thousands of pounds just to have a, a bike to compete. Uh, and that bike will actually make a significant difference to your performance. Um, you know, I think, but I, this isn't going away. You know, we've seen, you know, we've, Nikes, the vapor flies, and things like that. You know, do do I now have to spend three hundred pounds to compete to the person who stood next to me on the start line in a race? Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely that, and then there's the fact that um, as you uh, mentioned, uh, it takes time to train for long distance races, uh, and you know, in you know, it's a cliche, but you know, time is money. You know, if I'm training several hours a week to do that you know i i'm not doing my job i'm not earning money and you know it is a statistical fact that uh people of color in the uk uh are uh you know have less money than than white people you know that's just uh that's just an undeniable thing and it's not to say that you know there aren't black people with money uh but as a proportion of their population you are black people can afford the time and the money to enter and uh, equip themselves for these uh, events uh, than white people yeah that's that's just a fact um 
it's not an easy one to overcome. Uh, and of course, it's it's also rooted in all of this colonial history uh, as well. In that, you know, what are the reasons that black people came to this country? When were the times that they came, and under what conditions? Uh, you know, if you were part of that Windrush generation and you came to the UK in the and 60s, um, you did not own property. You did not have access to the financial system, which you know we're, we're also proud of. Um, you know because it just wasn't open to you in those days due to overt discrimination. Uh, less so now, but still, you know that's not very long ago. That's you know we're talking two generations ago. It's very very little time at all. You know when we're talking about the development of society. Um, so. Simple answer to your question. Yes, it absolutely is a barrier. <laughs> um, I think one thing I wanted to say on that is, yeah, of course, I wrote, I, I watched a really, really interesting IGTV TV, um, video by NPR this morning, all about the, you know, the falsehood around, you know, in order to run all you need is a pair of trainers. Um, um, because we know, you know, you, you get your pair of trainers and then you kind of, you know, you want your your sweat wicking top. And if you're not doing races, you're going to have to go out and buy that because you're not going to get it in a goodie bag. You know, then you've got your iPhone holder and then, you've you know, and everything like that. Um, I think that uh, what we're as black trail runners, the community that we're building is that, you know, we've got a lot of experience in in trail running in really understanding from a skills perspective kit requirements nutrition coaching navigation all of those all of those elements that go together in order to create a trail experience whether you are whether you just want to run a couple of miles on the trail or whether you want to do an ultra distance what we're not saying here is that in order to run on the trails you need to run 50 miles you can go on a trail and run 5k if that's what you want to do you can get that same sense of enjoyment and i think what we're trying to do is one of the key pillars that we see that we need to address in order to bring more people of colors and to bring the trails to more people of colour lies in being a, a a resource really of of black trail runners who have been there or who are there actively out there doing it and representing the community and saying look you know this is the stuff that you need here's what you don't need we've do- all done yeah, that yeah. Kit. That's <laughs> absolutely what you don't need yeah. um but let us help you, let us help to give you the confidence and knowledge to know the difference between what you do and you don't need to be able to go out and enjoy the trails, you know, because Sonny's absolutely right. In terms of time and resource, time is money and the kit is money. So we're trying to create a form of kind of education process and learning process around that for black trail runners as well. If people want to find out more about black trail runners, uh, where is there, is there a website or where, where could they go? At the moment, we're, um, we've got a Facebook page and an Instagram page. So if you search black trail runners on Facebook, then you find our page, which you can click to join. And on Instagram, we have a uh, Instagram page as well, which is, and I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to find it because it was literally, it's been, it's been set up, which is Black Trail Runners UK. Um, those are the, the, those are probably the best places to initially find information. There will be a website, but it's uh, currently being discussed. 
just a, a final question. I know Jane was keen to know if you guys have got any races uh, coming up in the. I know obviously that we don't know where where we're at with with organised races, but in an ideal world, what's uh, what's on the what's on the cards? Uh, well, I'm going to uh, on the first of August. I am uh, taking part in my tw- first 2020 mountain race, which is the mountains. Oh, sorry, that's my dog. Which is the Black, which is the Black Mountains 50 miler. Um, so that's my race, which is the first of first of August. Great, great. Amazing. Yeah, I've got um, uh, the North Downs Way 100, uh, which is a Centurion race. Um, Brilliant, yeah. And that's the 8th of August. Uh, it's actually an interesting point because, of course, uh, in the current situation, uh, trail races uh, and long-distance races are actually much more likely to go ahead mm. than big city runs. Uh, you know, it's, it's very easy, easy to social distance on, on a long-distance trail run. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so we're you know we're fortunate. I think you know we'll actually get most of our trail run, our big races will now start to happen uh, in trail running. I, I did the North Downs 100 last year actually, so it's it's a race oh, really? very clo- close to my heart. So um, I, 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 had a, I had a brilliant time. I'm sure you will as well. It was a, uh, it, it was yeah. Great. I was I was driving I was driving the sweet bus last year. <laughs> right, so yeah. I, I I only got to see the people suffering <laughs> at the back, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's a beautiful course. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, that's great. Um. Yeah, that puts to shame what, what I haven't got. Any, I haven't got anything in the direction. I was sort of planning to maybe try to have a go at maybe the Brighton Marathon yeah. if it's on <laughs> next year, but it's uh, yeah, it pales in comparison to like epic f- events in the Black Mountains and on the North Downs. But there you go. <laughs> Is there um, anything else about um, Black Trail Runners and the community? Like anything else you wanted to kind of highlight on the podcast? So. You know, it's a group of, so far, it's a group of eight of us have come together to uh, set this up. Uh, and I guess the important thing is that, you know, we're planning to launch this and make it live and public next week um, with a series of different uh, initiatives, uh, both some campaigning points uh, and some uh, events uh, and things that can people can get involved with. Uh, so, yeah, I'm we're hoping that uh, this podcast uh will go out uh you know fairly soon and will coincide with us going public with that and you know we're we'll be encouraging as many people as possible to uh, join us in that group uh and we'll be uh, once we launch we'll be spending time uh you know, talking to uh talking to media talking to events talking to manufacturers uh and of course talking to runners and getting the voice of uh, black trail runners out there and encouraging uh, more people into the sport that sounds great that sounds brilliant well yeah we look forward to to hearing more Fantastic. about that and uh, huge thanks to you and sabrina for for coming on the podcast and, and speaking with us we really appreciate it thanks right, so our, our pleasure uh, and thanks for having us this is the runners world podcast um that was such a great discussion and I think a lot of our readers will feel like I do right now it was incredibly powerful yeah I agree I think it's a, it's um it's great to to get Sabrina and Sonny to discuss um such a big and important issue and I, I we'd really like to hear from from our listeners as well uh, do you have any suggestions about how we can make trail running appeal to a broader demographic do you think the English countryside has a diversity problem and if so how can we begin to change that? Let us know your thoughts at podcast at runnersworld.co.uk. 
So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. A big thanks to our guests, Sabrina Pace-Humphreys and Sunny Pierce, and to you, of course, for listening. The Runners World podcast is available on Acast, iTunes, and all of your favourite podcast apps. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.